Well, after that introduction, I'm sure you're all terrified for what's about to take place uh, here this morning. But as Brian said, we are in the series in the Old Testament book, Song of Solomon. Uh, and uh, another couple of announcements before we get going in week two here. Uh, first of all, hopefully, if you were here last week, you brought back those booklets. Again, we're not going to have individual message notes throughout this series. Uh, however, if you were not here and you'd like one of those booklets, you want to follow along. Uh, again, the reason for the booklets is we're trying to follow on the same translation here. Uh, there are some available copies still underneath your seat there uh, on top of the Bibles. I will ask if you grabbed one last week, but you forgot it. Uh, maybe you just leave that uh, for those who haven't been able uh, to get one of those yet. Uh, also, I want to just say, if you are new to this series and uh, you're wondering what this is all about, I encourage you to go back to last week's message. You can find that online and at least listen to the first 15 or 20 minutes or so of that message where I kind of introduce uh, this whole topic and area. And like Brian said, really the point of walking through this book these seven weeks together as a church is we're asking that question, which is on the cover of your booklets there, are we going to look to the world or to the word for guidance in love and relationships. So last week, if you were here, we talked about this idea of attraction. We meet Solomon and his future wife. We're literally going to walk through their life together as a couple. And last week, they were attracted to one another. And the big idea, the big takeaway from that is when it comes to attraction, uh, you know, if you're single, if you're married, first of all, if you're single, you ask the question, what is the type of person that I should be looking for in a mate? And if you're married, the question you're asking is, am I becoming the type of person uh, that, my, that I want to become for my mate. So that's what we talked about. We talked about what attraction is and what attraction really isn't, how the world defines attraction all by physical looks. But really, we need to look below that and get to know a person's character. This morning, we're going to be talking about dating. Now, I discovered this week, that's not even the word the kids use anymore on the street, right? They call it talking now. <laughs> Except... What that means is they're friends, but they make out together. Because dating, that's too much of a commitment, so we needed to create another level, apparently, uh, before that. But I'm going to use the word dating throughout this series, and I think the two relate. And to get our minds thinking about this whole idea of dating, I want to show you a couple of my all-time uh, favorite commercials. One of them is my all-time uh, favorite commercial that get us thinking about this topic of dating. The first is from this car company down in the southern United States. They sell Suburbans, and one of their, their advertisements was they were selling cars with a trunk monkey included. It was a monkey that did different things. It was a big joke, obviously. They weren't really giving away monkeys. But this monkey, these commercials had the monkey doing various things that we might want the monkey to do. So take a look at this first one. Here we are. I still can't believe my dad let us even touch his new car. Oh, yeah? I think it came with the car. Hey. Wait! The Trunk Monkey Chaperone version. An innovative idea you'll only find at Suburban Auto Group. Isn't that great? They sold out in a week, I heard. Second commercial is a little more recent. You've probably seen this. This is a dad driving his daughter to her first dance and her... Her date is in the car with them. Just listen closely to the choice of music he chooses for this ride. Play, you can't touch this. You can't touch this. Play, I've got eyes everywhere. 
play, keep your hands to yourself. Don't give me no lines and keep your hands to yourself. All right, Dad. We get it. With IntelliLink, have fun. All your music is ready to listen to. Even if some people are sick of hearing it. The new luxuriously innovative lacrosse from Buick. All right, dating. Dating. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been hurt by the institution of dating? Raise your hand if you were ever hurt at one point. If you didn't raise your hand, it's because you were probably the one doing the hurting. <laughs> My question is, why do we do it then? Why do we date the way the world dates if it causes, and believe me, it causes wreckage and damage and confusion in relationships? Let me tell you something about dating. I'm going to give you a definition of a date. This comes from Tommy Nelson. Again, I told you uh, he really influenced me in this, but write this down somewhere on your notes here. I just want this to be a working definition for us. A date is an event between two mature people for mutual, these are the two key words, edification and observation. It's just an event between two mature people for mutual edification and observation. That's all it is. Why do I say that? Because when we define a date as opposed to dating, there doesn't have to be escalation. There doesn't have to be temptation. There doesn't have to be holding hands. There doesn't have to be kissing. There doesn't have to be declarations. I've known you for 30 minutes and I'm ready to spend the rest of my life with you. A date is just an event between two mature people for observation and edification. It's ultimately pursuing the question we talked about last week, is this the type of person that checks off the boxes on my list for a potential mate, right? When it comes to attraction, do they have the things that are really important? Now, when you start seeing the same person week after week after week, we have moved from a date to what? Dating. And let me ask you another question. Are there going to be some expectations there? Are there going to be some escalations? Are there going to be some temptations? You bet they are. You bet there are. And that's okay, as long as that guy and that girl are mature. Dating, though, as Tommy Nelson says, is a varsity sport. We don't treat it that way, but it's a varsity sport. And there are people who should not date, including some 70-year-olds. Because ultimately, dating, again, you might want to write this down. I don't have this on the screen. But dating involves bearing the trust of another person. The difference between a date, a date is an event. Dating is bearing the trust of another human being. It involves trust. So don't you think there should be some maturity involved on the part of both people? Ultimately, really, what is the point of dating? What is its point? Today in our world, we're told the point of dating is simply to sample the various flavors. I wish I was joking. Go from one girl to the next, go from one guy to the next. But really, what is the point of dating? Biblically speaking, the point of dating is to be asking that question. Is this someone I could see spending the rest of my life with? The biblical word is actually the word courting. I know that's so old school, like 1500s, right? But... Dating is just pre-courtship. Dating is just pre-courtship. That's when I was in youth ministry. I would tell my students, junior high and high schoolers, there are very few of you here who are mature enough to date. A lot of college kids aren't even ready to date. Why? Because they're not ready to bear the weight of another human being's trust. 
Okay, so I would just say, like we talked about last week, if you're a guy, you came to call on my daughter when she was old enough, and I let you go out with her once, you answered those three important questions, especially the third one, and you came back and you said, I'd like to start dating your daughter, I would say to him and to my daughter, like, you're not ready for this yet. You're not ready for this yet. You're not ready to bear the weight of each other's trust. Now, listen, hang out. Be friends together. Hang out with groups. Listen, isn't the worst thing about dating is if you end up breaking up with that person? Oh, we can't be friends anymore. We really think that's a good idea. We, we really want to buy into that whole institution, that system. is like, well, now I can't be friends anymore with those people. No, be friends, hang out, enjoy each other's company and relationship. But I would say to them both, you're too young to bear each other's trust right now. And if he came, I'd also be cleaning out my gun, right? I mean, just like that monkey. So let's look at what dating looks like, biblically speaking. This couple, as I said last week, doesn't get married until next week in chapter 3. But for them, dating is just an event. They're actually going to go on two events, two dates, and they're going to mutually edify one another and mutually observe one another. And we are going to see that they become more and more attracted to each other. And the reason they're, and this attraction is leading to something. They're not just dating for dating's sake. It is leading to marriage. So let's start in verse 9. Solomon is speaking here, chapter 1, verse 9. Really, this is the first time Solomon has spoken in this book. And as we walk through these verses this morning, I'm going to ask you to write down some words on the margin in your notes section there. Let's just talk about what dating really is. So I'm going to ask you to do certain words. But verse 9 says, To me, my darling, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. When it comes to dating, right next to verse 9, the word gentleness gentleness. Now men, before you go calling a girl a horse, (laughs) like he does here, understand that the mare among the chariots of Pharaoh, they were the most esteemed animals in the planet. They were treated with gentleness and tenderness. They were Pharaoh's prized possession. So what is this guy saying to this girl on this event called a date? What is he saying? I am going to treat you as a prized possession. I will treat you gently. I will treat you tenderly. You can trust me to care for you. He is treating this single girl well because he realizes, as too many men don't, that he is bearing her trust. He is bearing her trust at this point. Verses 10 and 11, he says, Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of beads. We will make for you ornaments of gold with beads of silver. In verse 12, the woman speaks again. While the king was at his table, my perfume gave forth its fragrance. Next to verse 12, put the word edifying. Edifying. Again, they're eating together right now. They're at a table. They're on an event called a date. And they're observing and edifying. Just as men in those days, we talked about, you know, the guy anointed himself with oil as a kind of a cologne. Here she says her perfume is wafting. And women in this time, uh, instead of putting oil or perfume on, they would actually wear a little pouch around their neck. It would lie right about here, and they would fill it with different spices like myrrh and frankincense. So she's talking about her perfume. It's giving off a smell on this event. But then look at the connection she makes in the next verse. She says, verse 13, my beloved is to me. A pouch of myrrh, which lies all night between my breasts. Now, she's not saying anything racy here. Uh, That's going to come in a little bit here. (laughs) She simply says, I can't get this guy off of my heart. 
Right? I can't get him off of my heart. Just like that pouch of perfume lies close to my heart, this man is starting to lie close to my heart. She's starting to fall for him. She has deep feelings for him. How many times do we see this? This is where we get in trouble today in our institution of dating. She's falling for this guy, and the question is, how is she going to handle these deepening feelings? One of the reasons I'm so passionate about doing this study, I've done it three times now, uh, I I'm mostly passionate about it for the younger generations, to be honest with you, especially this first uh, couple of messages for obvious reasons. But one of the reasons is I had so many friends who were girls in high school. Not girlfriends, but friends who were girls who were part of our youth ministry. Uh, They were on fire for Jesus. They They would come, they were involved, and then they met a guy. They met a guy. And they would start to compromise themselves for this guy. They'd start lying to their parents. They'd start lying to the church. They'd start lying to the friends. They started getting involved in things they never wanted to get involved with in the first place. Why? Because they're not ready to bear the weight of another human being's trust. Both the guy and the girl. This girl's like, I can't stop thinking about this guy. We've all seen this. Is he, she thinking about him, though, because he's really good looking? Because she really wants to make out with him? Talk? No, no. It's because of what we've already seen in his character, right? She can't get this guy off of her heart because this is a man whose name is like purified oil. He's a man of integrity. He is edifying her. We just wrote down on this event called a date. Girls, guys, the best question for you to ask yourself if this is still the age you find yourself in is this. Is this person drawing me closer to God or further away from God? And if it's the second thing, if, if he's compromising you, if you're moving away, if you're starting to, to lie to your friends and your parents and all these things, if these things are starting to happen, you better break that off. You better break that off. On the other hand, if you're like this guy and he is edifying you and he is bringing you closer to the Lord, well, then keep observing by all means. Keep edifying. Keep going on events called the dates because you're probably mature enough at this point for that. Verse 14. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. The Engedi, uh, for you uh, geography majors, is the desert reason of Israel. And how many of you feel like dating is like a desert sometimes? Right? And she says what? I have found a flower in the desert. He is a henna, he is henna blossoms. This, this whole thing is just desert region. But I have found a man who edifies me, who lifts me up. He is something alive and beautiful. It's tough sometimes to find good things there. But she's found a man who wants to elevate her, not compromise her. In verse 15, Solomon speaks again. How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. Then she says, how handsome you are, my beloved, and so pleasant. Write down physical attraction next to those verses. Physical attraction. These two are physically attracted to each other. Is there a place for physical attraction in a relationship? I'm not trying to trick you here. Yes, absolutely yes, but can I show you something? Where does physical attraction take place in this relationship? It takes place in chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 15. We have already seen them relate to one another, edify one another. They are spiritually on the same page together. They're emotionally connected, and now there's a physical attraction. We talked about it last week. I just want to say it one more time. You don't get married on faith. 
You don't get married and hope that he or she is going to come, become the person you want them to become. You just don't. You don't get married on faith. You better marry someone who's already there. But I say all of that, and I still want to say, physical attraction should be a part of it. Think about those of you who are married. Was there an element of physical attraction that brought you together? I would hope there is. I would hope there was. I often uh, joke around, you know, on the day uh, Peggy and I got married, uh, we had the ceremony and the reception at the same place. And after the reception, the hotel we were staying at our first night on our honeymoon was 45 miles away from the place we were staying. I got there in three minutes. (laughs) Did I break the law? You better believe I broke the law. Is that wrong? No, I was physically attracted to her, but it was not, listen, the base of our relationship. Our relationship had been built long before that. Whenever I talk to a couple about getting married, and if you're thinking about asking me to do your wedding, you know, some of you who I did their wedding, you know this question is coming. It's, how are you dealing with the passion thing? You know, you you got accountability partners, you got boundaries in place. How are you dealing with that? And rare times I will actually have couples who say, well, it's not really a problem for us at all. And I say, well, then we've got a serious problem here. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, guys, if you're not going home after you take your girl out on a date and you want to chew through a piece of wood or something, I mean, you're taking a cold shower, then we got issues. You should be physically attracted to this person. They are physically attracted, and I can't believe this is in the Bible. We get to see how they deal with it. We get to see how they deal with it. I love the rest of verse 16. Indeed, our couch is luxuriant. Literally in Hebrew, it would say, our couch is green. What is she talking about? You guys have a guess, a thought? She's saying, we're out in the open. They're on an event called a date, and we are out in the open. We're observing and edifying one another. This is not a date taking place in the back seat of a car. They are in the open where everyone can see them. Remember what we talked about earlier? She said to him, I am not going to be like one of those veiled women who comes to you at night. Who are the veiled women? The prostitutes. I will not use sex. I will not compromise myself just for a relationship with you. When we get together on this event called a date, it's going to be in the middle of the day in front of other people. They're pretty smart, aren't they? They're pretty smart. She says, verse 17, the beams of our houses are cedars, our rafters, cypresses. Again, why is she talking about trees? Because they're outside. Chapter 2, verse 1. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. How many of you have heard that verse before, maybe? That's good. It's probably one of the most famous uh, verses in all of this book. Next to it, write these words, esteem. This word, esteem. E-S-T-E-E-M. Translated, that verse says, I am the prettiest thing in all of creation. I am the prettiest thing in all of creation. Isn't that interesting to think about This girl saying that about herself, when just about 10 verses or so earlier, how did she describe herself? She said, I am swarthy. Do not look at me. And now she's saying, I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. I am the prettiest of all women. What happened? What happened here? Well, what happened is that she's been around a man whose name is like purified oil, who is on this date edifying her, 
He is esteeming her. He is building her up. Women, men, this applies to you as well. Listen, when you are with a man or you are with a woman, a really important question to ask is, do they make me feel better about myself? Or do they make me feel worse about myself? And again, if the answer is the second thing, why are you still with them? Now, if you're married, (laughs) in all seriousness, sometimes that can happen. If you're not feeling mutually esteemed, get help. Get help. Get help. You can have those feelings once again. Guys, married men, does your wife know she is the rose of Sharon in your eyes? Husband, wives, I always get this messed up. Wives, do your husbands know? Do their chests puff out a little bit? Because you esteem them. You encourage them. You build them up. That's what godly men and women do in relationship. They esteem. They build up. They don't tear down. They don't make us feel worse. This man is treating her like the highest of all creations. And she says, I'm the most beautiful woman in the world. Verse 2, Solomon speaks again. Like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. Right next to verse 2, the word trust What another great picture. Again, this book's written in poetry. He's saying here, I consider all other women thorns compared to you. In you, I have found the lily. This is not some guy playing the field, sipping from one flower here and another flower over here. This is a guy who says, you're my one and only lily. You can trust me in this relationship. I am ready because I am mature enough to bear the weight of our relationship. I used to have this nickname in high school. I told you, uh, I wish I had learned some of this earlier, but my friends used to call me the three-week man. That wasn't a good thing. It basically meant I would date a girl for three weeks and then break up with her because I couldn't handle the commitment. I couldn't handle the relationship. Yeah, why? Because I wasn't ready. I'm not mature enough to bear the weight of another human being's trust. And I formed a, a horrible pattern in my life there. I hurt people. I mean, again, we couldn't even be friends. We were friends, and then we couldn't even be friends. I mean, why do we do this to ourselves? Thankfully, by God's grace, I didn't compromise myself morally. But listen, what I did compromise is the trust that these girls put into me, but I couldn't handle it because I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to bear the trust of a girl. This man's ready. He's the opposite. He's committed to her. Why? Because he's moving towards something here. They're not just dating for dating's sake. They're moving towards what? Marriage. That's what dating is for. That's what dating is for. Observing and edifying and asking the question, is this the type of person I could spend the rest of my life with? The Bible takes seeing the same person repetitively over and over again very seriously. To be totally honest, there was no dating in the Bible, right? There's no word dating. But uh, most relationships were like arranged. You know this, right? Most marriages were arranged. However, they're discovering that even in those arranged relationships, in those arranged marriages, the couples would often have a chance to go on a date on this event for mutual edification and observation. And if there was not mutual edification, both of them most often had the opportunity or the right to break off that marriage. So this couple on this date right now, they're talking pretty seriously. Why? Because the intention is to move towards marriage. It's going somewhere. That's the point 
of dating. Verse 3, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In his shade I took great delight and sat down, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Write the word protection next to that verse. Why do you think I had you write that word there? Just look at that verse real quick. What, how does she describe him? He is like a tree. He gives shade. What does shade do? It protects us from the sun, doesn't it? It protects us from the sun. She's saying, this man protects me. He provides for me. His fruit is sweet. It's not bitter. She respects him because he takes care of her. He is kind and gentle and edifying. He esteems her, and therefore I can trust him. He is ready to bear the weight of another human being's trust. Single girls, you don't see a girl dragging some deadbeat guy after him, hoping, hoping, maybe one day he'll become the man I want him to become. If those of you who are married, you know this, right? Let's warn all of you single people, you can't be the Holy Spirit in someone else's life. Some of you are married and you still haven't learned that, so I'll just repeat that for you. You can't be the Holy Spirit in someone else's life. There's only one Holy Spirit. But so often we think, I mean, who of us don't do this? Let's be honest, right? If I just nag, if I just push, if I just prod, if I just demand, if I just do this, this, and this, maybe she'll or maybe he'll, it doesn't work. When it comes to dating, you better find someone who's already there who's already there, who is ready to bear the weight of your trust. This guy has earned the right to a woman. He's earned her respect well before they get married. She knows what she's getting. She knows he's going to be the same guy now and tomorrow. That's why I always say to high school girls, you're not ready for dating because they're not ready for dating. Trust me, I was one of them. Believe it or not, I was once in high school. I was once in junior high school. Besides, do you really want to date someone whose voice still squeaks? <laughs> Verse 4. The scene shifts. Likely this is a second date. She says, He has brought me to his banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. Write the words public honor next to that verse. Public honor. He honors her publicly. The banquet hall. This is another public place. He's brought her to a public place and placed a banner over her. The banner is love. The banner, uh, the word banner there is a military term. Literally, a commander in a field of battle would hold up the, ba the banner, right? Think of it like a tribe's emblem or something. He would hold it up, and so the, the soldiers could look back, and they could see where the commander was. They could see, that's the person. That's the person I'm fighting for. That's the person I gave my life for. Did you know one of the names for God in the Bible is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner? Isn't that awesome to think about? We look at him and say, that's the one I gave my life for. He's the one I'm fighting on behalf. But even better than that, we have a commander who then fought for us. And he gave his life for us. His banner over us is what? Love. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. His banner is love, Jehovah Nisi. This woman, to say, you know, he's brought me to a banquet hall, a public place, and he has placed his banner over me. He's placed his ownership over me, right? 
And when she looks at him, what does she see? What's the banner say? Love. That's a pretty good thing for a woman to feel about a man, isn't it? He loves me. Look at verse 5 now. And warning, this is where we get PG-13. Out of nowhere, she says, sustain me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples because I am lovesick. Crazy, huh? Believe it or not, that's actually one of the raciest verses in the entire Bible. I mean, what is she talking about? Love is making her hungry. They are at a banquet hall. Is she ordering dessert here? What is going on? I'm telling you, if you were Jewish and you just read those words, you would be saying, oh, no, she did not just say that. (laughs) I'm telling you. You see, raisin cakes were considered to be an aphrodisiac. Raisin cakes were full of seeds. And seeds were uh, thought to arouse the passions within you. In fact, they were thought even to be able to heighten the ability to have children. As a matter of fact, we know that the Canaanites, you know, the, the, the nation that was a constant thorn in Israel's side, uh, they used to use raisin cakes in their fertility rites when they would worship by, you know, sleeping with prostitutes and so forth. And in Hebrew, Hosea 3, chapter, verse 1, God says to Israel, you've gone after other gods and you love their raisin cakes. Why is he saying that? You're prostituting yourself to these other gods. Matter of fact, in this day, again, if your kid's next to you, you don't want them to hear this, it's a true story. There were people who would actually form raisin cakes in the shape of sexual organs. Can you imagine walking out of Panera tomorrow morning <laughs> with a bag of raisin cakes? There's a, there's a great scripture, by the way, too, in the Old Testament where David, he conquers the, the, what would become known as the city of Jerusalem, right? He conquers the Jebusite people. And after the battle, there's this giant celebration. They're coming into the city. It's where he makes his capital. They have this great party. And then David wants to give all these gifts to his soldiers and sends them home. So he gives them a number of different gifts. Included in those gifts were, believe it or not, raisin cakes. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, go home, guys, and make love to your wife because God's blessing is going to flow. And I'll even provide the Viagra. That's my kind of king. It gets even hotter in verse 6. Let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me. What position is that? Think about it. Left hand, right? Ooh, that's not a hug. No, that's the sexual position. This woman wants this man. You want to know why, fellas? Because in this event called a date, he has treated her with what? What are some of the words you've written down? Gentleness. Edification, attraction, esteem, trust, protection, honor, love. So she says, give me them raisin cakes. It's right there in the Bible. Today we learn about sexuality from Howard Stern, MTV, magazines in the grocery store, television programs. And the only word the church with a capital C has had about it for so many years is, don't do it. If you have these feelings like this girl has right here, that's evil. You should repress that. Don't talk about it. Don't bring that up. That is not godly. That is not something from the Lord. But let me ask you a question. From what we've learned so far in this series, is this girl normal? She is normal and she is a godly woman. And yet she says, I want this man sexually. And in the next verse, don't look yet. 
Don't look. We are going to find out what God really thinks about sex, sexual encounters before marriage. What does God really say about the desires we get? Don't look. (laughs) Now, what would happen if we read in verse 7, it says, And Solomon saith unto her, You wicked, vile creature for thinking these thoughts about me. Be gone from my presence. You know what that would say? That the church has been right all these years. Sex is bad. It is evil. We should repress those thoughts. On the other hand, what if we read in the next verse, God says, you're not looking. What if he says, go for it? You've got these passions. You've got to let them out. I understand. The world is right. Sex is not that big of a deal. Well, we've got a problem that way too, don't we? Because that would kind of contradict other scripture. So whatever the next verse says about sex is what God thinks about it in the proper way. What does he think about our sexual drives? Don't look. Look at the first part of verse 7. It says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. Stop. Look up. Stop. (laughs) Who does he address right there? The daughters of Jerusalem. Interesting. Why doesn't he just address this one single girl in this instance? Because he has moved from a specific instance now into an absolute truth for all godly women and men for that matter everywhere. Does that make sense to you? Instead of just addressing her, he says, I adjure you daughters of Jerusalem, all you godly women everywhere. By the gazelles or the hinds of the field, stop again, look up. A gazelle is an animal you would treat with gentleness and modesty. Now we're going to get what God says about sex before marriage. Here it is. This is God's answer. That you do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. In other words, I adjure all you women of God. I adjure all you men of God. Don't arouse or awaken love until the proper time. He does not berate her, does he? He does not tell her those thoughts are unnatural, those thoughts are evil, you should be repressing those thoughts, but neither does he say, let's do this thing. I mean, this is just how I feel. This has to be right. No, he says, sweetheart, I've got the same feelings. We're heading towards the same thing, but let's not awaken love until the proper time. And when is the proper time? Marriage. Marriage. I mean, literally, you maybe don't know this, but the Bible, God God talks about sex is actually the seal of a covenant between a man and a woman made in marriage. Leave, cleave, and become one flesh. That's That's the moment when the covenant relationship in marriage is sealed. Fellas, who is in control of this relationship? Is the girl beating away some guy trying to get down her pants? No, because we've learned this is a man of integrity, of character, of honor, trust, a man who esteems her. This is a man whose banner over her is love. And because that's who he is, these passions have been aroused in her, and they're natural. They're natural. I think of, uh, for some of you who are runners, if you were training for a race, let me just ask you a question. Would you want to train with someone who was slower than you, or the same pace or faster than you. You would always want to run, train with someone who's running the same pace as you, right? Or maybe a little bit faster. If they were going too fast, that'd be hard too. What happens if you were to train with someone who was a lot slower than you? 
you'd start dragging behind. You just would. It's a natural thing. And I would say the same thing applies when it comes to our relationships. When you're looking for someone to date, you want to find someone who's running the same race as you are. Otherwise, they will drag you back. That's why this whole concept of missionary dating, give me a break. I tried it. It does not work. It will always drag you back. When you run the race of dating, you're looking for someone running the same pace as you, spiritually speaking. That's what it's for. That's what dating's for, right? It's an event for a mutual observation and mutual edification. And if you're observing in that event things like gentleness, protection, attraction, esteem, trust, honor, love, then by all means, run with that person. Run with that person. Let's close this morning by talking one more time about the truth about premarital sex. Because I just want to say, the reason a verse like this is in the Bible is not because God doesn't want us to enjoy sex. It's not because God is a killjoy. We've been trying to convince you God actually wants the best possible relationships for you. He wants you to have healthy relationships, vital relationships. The reason then this is in the Bible is because God wants to protect us. Psalm 1911 says this, By your word is your servant warned, and by keeping it there is much reward. Do we believe that? There's reward. There's reward when we do relationships God's way. Listen, God knows that lust and passion are powerful things, and we live in a culture where we're bombarded with messages everywhere. You can't drive down a road today without seeing a billboard that says sex is the end-all, be-all of relationships. It's the foundation of everything. So go for it. But we have a book that we've been given as a light unto our path, and in that book there is a verse that says, don't awaken love until the time is right. Again, why? Because God doesn't want us to enjoy sex? No, he created it. He created it. It's because he wants us to enjoy it to its fullest. And that takes place in the covenant between a man and a woman in this thing called marriage. Let me just say it this way. You can't have good sex without God. I know that sounds weird. You can't have good sex without God. That's why if sex were nothing more, the world defines it this way, it's nothing more than the coming together of two physical bodies. No big deal. Just coming together of two physical bodies. But if that's all it were, where would the best marriages be taking place right now? In Hollywood. I mean, they are building relationships on good looks. They're building relationships on sexual encounters. And yet, these relationships are made out of balsa wood and they're falling apart. I meet with couples sometimes who have gotten into premarital sex. And what I say to them is that sex is so powerful that it can build an illusion that may or may not actually be there. I've used this illustration. It's like lighter fluid. I mean, let's just say it. Sex is passionate. It's it's powerful. It's intended to be powerful. And yet, if you remove that from the equation in some people's relationships, there's nothing there. The fire burns out. What you really need to make sex its best is a relationship built with kindling and wood. Then the lighter fluid comes. 
And how do you build that? Where does the wood, where does the kindling come from? It comes from the things we've been looking at this morning. It comes between two people who are mutually edifying one another. They're esteeming one another. They can trust one another. They're protecting one another. That's the kindling and the wood you want to build a relationship on. And then God says, be fruitful and multiply. Go for it. I'll even pour on the lighter fluid since I'm the one who invented this thing in the first place. We're going to talk a lot more about sex in two weeks, so plan accordingly if you want to miss uh, that week. But I do want to say one last uh, word on this. First of all, to those of you who are doing this right. I mean, I look around, I see, you know, so many young faces uh, here. I would just say to you, if you're doing this right, it's hard. I understand it's really hard especially in our culture today. But I would just say to you, keep running the race God has set for you. Find people who can encourage you along the way and hold you accountable in this thing. If, however, you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you've fallen in this, I guess my words to you this morning would be, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. We worship a God, don't we? A God who loves second chances a God who loves to redeem and restore. In fact, one of my favorite verses comes from Joel 2.25. Can we read this out loud together? It says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. What does a locust do? It destroys everything in its path. And how often have we seen it today in our world, in our culture, this whole sexuality that bombards us constantly is just forming a destructive path, isn't it? And some of you are here right now and God is speaking to your heart and you're feeling guilt, you're feeling shame, you're feeling condemnation and God would say to you, I can restore the years the locusts have eaten away. I can make you a new creation in Christ Jesus where the old is gone and the new has come. I think of it this way, we may feel conviction in this area and that is from God. He convicts sin, condemnation, is not of God, because condemnation goes after your personhood. And God's already covered that one. He's already covered that one for you. His banner over you is love. So by God's grace, you can start afresh. You can start new. I know this is a heavy topic to be talking about in church. Some of you are wondering why you showed up this morning, but I'll just say it again. You can't have good sex without God. Can we pray? Lord, this morning we want to pray collectively as a church family, as a church body. First of all, for those um, who are running the race, who are are wondering what message to believe, the message of the world or the message of your word. And uh, we want to pray a prayer of encouragement over them. We want to pray that you would Put people in their lives to help them see you really do want what's best for them. There is great reward in following your word, God. Help them to run the race you've set before them with perseverance. I pray for them right now that you will help them to put on the armor they're going to need to face the battle that's surely coming. I also want to pray for those who may have fallen in this area. God, remove the shame, remove the guilt. Speak these words to them that you can remove the years the locust has destroyed because you are a restorer. You are a redeemer. So as they look to you, God, as they look to the cross where you took every sin upon your shoulders, including all sexual sin, remind us 
It is by your blood that we are free and forgiven. And all God's people said, amen.